This is I Doubt It with Dollamore, with hosts Jesse Dollamore and Brittany Page, a podcast dedicated to free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, but most importantly, a good time. Good day, planet Earth. I was going to say America, but you know our audience spans more than just the puny country of the United States. I thought you were also going to say that some of our audience hey, wh- hates America. Why are you talking right now? I haven't introduced anyone. This is unpro- wholly unprofessional. <laughs> this is I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore, and sitting across from me... Speaking prematurely <laughs> is my lovely co-host, Brittany Page. And prior to that, I had my eyes rolled for about one minute straight, and it was quite painful. <laughs> Do you want to explain why you had your eyes rolled or why I was kind of bitching at you prior to the mics going hot? Do you <laughs> no. want to explain why? No. No, let's It's okay. No, no, no. It's not important. We this is a mm. show <laughs> we are open and honest with our audience and I'd like them to know. Okay. I may have been doing something other than preparing for the show to start. Listen, as I always say, I know everybody doesn't really care about how the sausage is made, but before we go hot with the mics, I a long period of silence goes on while the while the intro music is happening and I hear in my headphones clickety clackety clickety clackety clickety clack of Britney's fingernails on her keyboard. Mhm. And I look and I'm what what are you doing over there? And I realize after putting two and two together, which is about as much as I can do, that Britney is still she's over there doing her taxes on her computer. Yes. And, okay. And, no, no. Hang on. I'm not done. You'll get your chance to cross-examine this witness. And so, I admonish her. What are you going to plan on? Are you planning on doing that while we're doing the show? And um, what was your response, Miss Page? <laughs> that I was going to try to get away with doing it, <laughs> but that I realized that wouldn't be possible because you could hear me typing. Right, because I have to turn your gain, I have to turn your mic up way higher than mine because I have this stupid, whacking morning zoo DJ voice, mm-hmm. and my mic is turned way, way down. Okay, well, I so was... So, because of that, I hear the clickety-clack... All right, enough with of the flapping of the gums. I clickety-keyboard. I was at school all day today. This is Saturday, by the way. Oh, well, we'll, we'll get to that later, but go ahead. And I was at school from 9 to 6... And I was trying to do my taxes while I was at school, but that wasn't working out either because I was feeling like people were watching me do my taxes. <laughs> so I stopped doing that because um, so, I didn't want everyone to know my information. So much better to do it while we we do our twice weekly show filled with news. News. And ridiculous comment. So it's better to disrespect the show than it is to disrespect oh, please. your professors. Anyway, I'm not doing it. I'm, I am being good. I'm paying attention now. Well, I'll just say this and we'll move on. If you do happen to, audience, if you do happen to hear the restless clickety-clack of her clickety-keyboard, it is her doing her taxes. 
and trying to bilk the government for all that they're worth. Mm-hmm. Or to try to get what is owed you. Right, that's probably more like it. <laughs> so as Brittany did mention, in the midst of her defending herself, of her, in our, in her, her terrible actions... Um, she mentions that this is Saturday right now. You're, you're listening to this, of course, on Monday. Of course, on Monday, if you're a loyal listener. Of course, the day it gets released, you listen. And we're recording on Saturday. And we're doing that because tomorrow, Sunday, the 25th, we will be in Pasadena, California, on the campus of Caltech. Mm-hmm. We are going to be attending um, the Skeptic Society. And they're putting on an event... I guess the title of it is Bill Nye, the Science Guy. Is it everywhere he goes, he's just the Science Guy mm-hmm. after Bill Nye? Yes. Bill Nye, the Science Guy, in conversation with Michael Shermer. And then the title of the thing is Undeniable Evolution and the Science of Creation, which is the title of his new book. So I guess the, the actual title would be Undeniable evolution and the create and the science of creation not the other way around mm-hmm. not undeniable evolution but just undeniable right and michael Shermer will also be there yeah so it's nice because um we have a loose tie to michael Shermer, and we're, we're going to talk to him while we're there Brittany, michael Shermer completed his graduate school work at the same school in which our at which Brittany is attending grad school Mm-hmm. Cal State Fullerton mm-hmm. and Brittany coincidentally well they both they, they're both psychology people and Brittany's thesis advisor was also Michael Shermer's thesis advisor well he's not yet my thesis advisor he's my mentor right now I'm working with him on his research and then if he likes me well enough hopefully he'll be my thesis advisor a little piece of advice don't do your taxes while you're doing work for him. I do not do that. <laughs> I pay full attention when he speaks. Good. Well, anyway, so there's that common bond. And we're we're a couple different things. One, we're obviously looking forward to a conversation with Bill Nye. And, and the whole entire, you know, the, the, the subject matter is going to be very compelling. And it's going to be a good time. We're going to see uh, Ryan Bell while we're up there. Friend of the show, Ryan Bell. And there are a few other notables, I guess. You could say notables. We'll be there, so there will be a couple of extra notables. Anyway. <laughs> so anyway, it's going to be a good time, and that's why we're doing this on Saturday, not tomorrow, Sunday. So a couple pieces of follow-up before we get started here. Um, we, we, we talked last episode about an unfortunate incident with Brittany related to a... A, a Yelp review that she gave for a terrible waxing experiment. Incident. I was going to say experiment. <laughs> I, I wasn't in on the experiment. I wasn't warned about that. Well, let so. me tell you something. If It just seems very experimental and odd, the whole thing. So maybe I just, it was in my head. Yeah. I, <laughs> I don't want to think about it. We already talked about it. I don't want to talk about it again. Well, we put a call out to our female listeners especially to give their opinion on what Brittany should do relative to going back in to this business who offered her uh, a free service. The manager or the owner offered her a repeat freebie. And we kind of put our feelers out there to the female audience. And this is our first response 
relative to this very important matter. Hi, Brittany. This is Allison calling. I'm just calling in to give you some advice or at least my perspective on what I would do um, in terms of your waxing predicament and whether or not to go back. I say you call, very level-headed, don't feel very embarrassed, just say, hello, I was offered a free service. I would like to schedule an appointment to get that free service. You walk in on that day. You get your free service, emphasis on the word free. I'm saying you should do this because it's free. And you don't even have to act weird or anything. Just act completely normal, just like you said, as you would as a gynecologist. Act like nothing weird is going on. And ultimately, you're the one who benefits from the free service. Now, I'm not sure if as a result of getting a free service, you would have to take down your review Maybe I would suggest that you edit your review and keep the original one up but have a disclaimer and say that you went back and then describe the service that you got the second time that you went. Just my advice, best of luck. I am waiting on the edge of my seat to see what you decide. Take care. Bye. Listen, we we love Allison and her 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 generous contributions to the show. However, I don't know if you saw the hole in the logic. No pun intended on the hole. Mm-hmm. I'm getting the in joke her, in her logic. But here's the thing: there's no way for Brittany to just call and say, "Hey, I was offered a free service," and then have them not ask follow up questions. <laughs> you know what I mean? If you if you got your hair cut at a salon and you were to call and say, "Hey," Uh, I was offered a free service, so I want to schedule my appointment to come in and redeem that free service. They're not just going to say, oh, okay, well, what time would you like? They're going to say, what do you mean a free service? What exactly is this about? And then you have to explain, well, I I was angry that someone was staring at my asshole and not making casual conversation. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was getting to the... (laughs) So, yeah, I mean... she makes a good point because I would love to have the free service. Well, I don't know if, but I, I'm not, I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if I can do it. I don't know if Allison hit on something that, that not many people know who don't really know you that Brittany's favorite word is free. I think we may have talked about it on the show before that she's very, mm, how do I put this diplomatically frugal? You're very cheap. Yeah, but you're, but I'm not I'm not I mean you're you're painting a bad picture of me right now because I'm not one of those people who at Costco when they have sliced up a red delicious apple that I'm waiting in a line of 11 people to get a free slice of red delicious apple that everyone has had a bite of that we all know what it tastes like. I'm not one of those people. If something is like a free sample, yeah, I'm not always going to go get it. That's also because you know about the poo particles that are floating through the air. And you're also a mild germaphobe and you don't want everybody's hepatitis that has just drifted and sprinkled down onto the slice of red delicious apple. No, it's also that I have some self-respect and I know (laughs) what a peanut butter and jelly sandwich tastes like. And so if they're offering that as a sample, I'm not going to greedily wait in line and, you know, feast on a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. (laughs) I'll go make myself one at home. Right. Okay. I get you. I get you. So your... Your dignity or level of embarrassment that you may incur is, at this point, 
over overpowering your desire to get a free service. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I get that. I wonder what other other ladies who listen to the show think. 657-464-7609. Call just like Allison did and let us know your thoughts on Brittany's particular predicament. If you are unaware of exactly what we're talking about because you missed last episode, then that is what you should do. Tune in to episode 91 and uh, get all the deets, as Brittany would say. And thank you again, Allison. We always like to hear from Allison. Absolutely. Well, if not anything, just the call was great fodder for breaking this down a little bit more. But we will for sure let everybody know what, what ends up shaking out, so... Another little piece of follow-up. This is something we've been talking about a little bit. In between last episode and this, we went and saw American Sniper. So we we had a long, long segment on the last show about it and really couldn't have provided very in-depth opinions about the matter because we hadn't seen hadn't seen the movie. So we went and we we have a more clear picture of what's going on. And in the meantime, while that happened, Bill Maher had some, well, as Bill Maher mostly does, has some dumb things to say about the entire matter. In January, that's what superheroes usually make, uh, superhero movies make. Um, I'm not surprised Clint Eastwood's a great filmmaker, but uh, somehow their Twitter war broke out, and now we have to take sides whether the American sniper is a real hero or not. Now, I said last week we had Catherine Catherine Bigelow on who had made Hurt Locker, and I said it kind of goes over a lot of the same territory. Hurt Locker made 17 million because it was a little ambiguous and thoughtful. And this one is just American hero. He's a psychopath patriot, and we love him. You know, I, I read some of the quotes from the real Chris Kyle. He said, I hate the damn savages, talking about the Iraqis, and I've been fighting and I always will. I love killing bad guys. Even with the pain, I loved what I was doing. Maybe war isn't really fun, but I certainly was enjoying it. Um, I don't know. Eisenhower once said, I hate war as only a soldier who has lived it can. I'm going to stop there. When Chris Kyle... Well, first of all, Bill Maher doesn't know anything more about what Chris Kyle meant than than I do. But I can assume, um, having served and also having uh, just watched the movie, that uh, when he says, I hate the damn savages, he's not, as Bill Maher said, referring to the Iraqi people. I would guess that he's referring to the the members of Al-Qaeda and the monsters with whom he was interacting uh, and battling. People who torture children, people who torture women. That's exactly right. People who kill other people. And we don't, listen, I don't want to do any spoilers, because if you haven't seen the movie, I don't want to ruin it, but there are are clearly characters in real life and and characters that they have in the movie who are doing terrible things to children and women using implements to torture other human beings, they are monsters. They are savages. He's not talking about the everyday citizens who were victims of the war just by the fact that they lived in Iraq and had to be 
put through a terrible situation. He's talking about the assholes, the the maniacal maniacs, the torturous psychopaths. That's who he's talking about. And Bill Maher, of course, is going to color it his own way. So there's a couple of things that are that are interesting to me. And one is Bill Maher is able to call Chris Kyle a psychopath killer patriot right or whatever and he talks about how he's a killer right and and all this but somehow he misses the people that are murderers and maybe even you could use the word psychopathic killers or whatever about the other side well people over there in al-qaeda that are that are harming other people but somehow he only focuses on Chris Kyle and the killing that he did. Right. Well, what about the killing that happened on 9-11? What about the killing of the numerous people now that we've seen be beheaded in the videos from ISIS? The killing at the hands of radical Islam. And not only that, this is another thing that is funny about Bill Maher. He doesn't trust the government. He's against vaccines. He is against GMOs. And it's because he doesn't trust the government. But he trusts these quotes, which I'm assuming he got out of the Guardian article that everyone is sharing. That's right. Because has Bill Maher read the book? Oh, I I highly doubt he's read American Sniper. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, he doesn't trust the government, but he'll just trust this random article with the quotes in it. It seems... From from the Guardian, which is an avowed enemy of the United States, hates America and anything America. As evidenced by Glenn Greenwald, I mean it's it's a terrible publication, which which is very much has an agenda. And, and listen, we're not well. I won't speak for Brittany, but I'm certainly not saying it. Just like we said last episode, I'm not saying that Chris Kyle should be. We should make a statue out of him. That he's this this untouchable deity. He's not. He's a man. He was damaged from war. Well, and that's the other thing. We saw the movie, and Bill Maher is saying in the movie he's painted as this amazing patriotic hero, and I don't think that was true. I think they even painted Chris Kyle as a very humble guy who, when approached by people to say that he was a hero, he reacted very uncomfortably. And, you know, they acted or they showed it in the movie that, you know, he was uncomfortable with it, and it it seemed like they were showing a negative side as well i mean they also showed how fucked up war made him i i just don't see this guy in the same league as eisenhower i'm sorry and if you're a christian i know this is a christian country uh i hate the damn savages i don't give a fuck what happens that doesn't seem like i just like to note that the quotes that he read in the beginning did not include that sentence with the F word. Yeah, that, but I don't then give when, a fuck what happens to them. But then when he says it the second time, he adds that in there. Right. So did it say that the first time, or are you just adding that for effect? He's and just, he's you're ju- quoting somebody, so you better be careful. Well, it's Bill Maher. He doesn't have to be careful. Christian thing to say. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a very interesting point. Um, there's a lot of anger in this country, and the people who go see this movie are people who are very angry. And this guy basically says, I'm going to fight on your side. And they bite, bite for it. I, I, th- I think there's some, I bet you if you looked at uh, a cross-section of the Tea Party and people who go to see this movie, there's a lot of intersection. What 
I, I also, disagree yeah, with I mean, that. But I also think there's always been sort of a search for the totemic uh, war hero. We saw that with Pat Tillman in, in a certain respect. Uh, we saw that with Jessica Lynch. We saw that in some ways with David Petraeus as well. And when you look beneath uh, the surface of some of those narratives, it's, it's obviously more complicated than that. I think part of it also is that uh, in this, you were, you were talking before, he saw the, the movie The Interview. And there was, at some point, Americans wanted to do some sort of patriotic act, right? And I think in some ways, people who wanted to who went to go see this movie, it was sort of a, a patriotic uh, act, and that people wanted to feel good about this war. If you look uh, at the polls, most Americans think this war uh, wasn't worth fighting. It's something like 70 percent, and this movie comes at a time. And that's the so thing. We're, we're in did a you country. Watch the movie? Yes, I did. So I went to go see it last night because I'd heard I'd heard about. It. I wanted to try to know what I was talking about. I can't believe you came away with that impression of the film. What I saw was a movie that treats what veterans and soldiers go through in a way that was subtle. It was not just about war, it was about well, PTSD, it was about what, what the yeah. wives of soldiers go through. Um, and by the way, the savages he's talking about, okay, aren't ordinary Iraqis. The savages are al-Qaeda killers who put drills into children to enforce Okay, you orders. know what, when he was sitting up there and looking 200 yards away, he didn't know that's who he was shooting. In the first scene, he's about to shoot a kid. Yeah, but I would so, also say you, you can't you can't sum up a man by one quote taken out of context. You don't know how he said that. And I think if you're fighting a well, war, I bet you say a lot of fucked up shit in the middle of it. Well, that was Someone's after the war when he you. wrote a book. All right, but you've also you've been through okay, a war. I'm just saying, you know, the, the idea that Americans cannot see any ambiguity, that somebody has to either be pure hero or pure traitor, is ridiculous. It's not that being... He's joking, right, when he says that? Because it's, it's unbelievable to me that he's his memory is so short that he doesn't realize what he just did. <laughs> right. He he is the one that's going to the extreme and then saying, what? I don't understand why we can't just be in the middle. OK, you're not in the middle. You're never in the middle. So what are you talking about? <laughs> well, it's it's what we've been talking about. He's right there in that odd moment. Bill Maher. It's like he's he's one of us on this show. He's trying to admonish everyone to say, hey, listen. It doesn't have to be one ex extreme or the other. He can be both a hero, but also a guy who's damaged. He can be a guy who killed 160 people, a, a 160 confirmed kill count as a sniper, and also be a guy whose motivations maybe weren't the best. I mean, it's it's odd that... Well, it's, it's Bill Maher, so it, there's nothing that surprises me with him anymore. Right. And then the scene that he's talking about when Chris Kyle was faced with the decision of killing a child, it was a situation where the child was given a weapon. Um, right. And a, I, a I don't. Yes. And I don't know how many people that could have killed, but he had to make a decision. Am I going to shoot this kid that has this weapon that was given this weapon to carry out a, an right. attack? Or am I going to let, you know, 10 to 12 people die right now? Well, it's it, and obviously Bill Maher wouldn't be able to handle that decision. Well, he it's because, well, it's this. Thankfully, Bill Maher and his ilk are in charge of our war fighting mechanism. Thank I'm thankful for that because we would never have a war. There's oh, there's terrible things going on in the world, which may not be affecting us now, but eventually will be affecting us because Oddly enough, in this world, you can fly planes into buildings. Oddly enough, 
in this world, you can kidnap Americans, take them hostage, and saw their heads off and put it on YouTube. Just because they're not on American soil doesn't mean they're not a threat. It doesn't mean they don't want to get here. Right. Well, they've they've made Anjem Chowdhury and Baghdadi have both said that they will fly the flag of ISIS over the White House. They've already made that proclamation. They're, that's what they're gunning for. But I guess we we should just not believe what they say. Right. Why would we take them at their word? I mean, they're clearly all of their actions up to this point have indicated that they don't want anything to do with us. They just, hey, just leave us alone, guys. That it's it's Pollyanna. It's pie in the sky. It's it's people who want to bury their heads in the sand. And, you know, frankly, I've got a lot of friends who are burying their heads in the sand, I believe. This week, there's been a lot of dust up on Facebook about this very topic. And oddly enough, like we talked about last episode, it does seem to be a weird philosophical divide by where you land on the political spectrum. And although I lean toward giving Chris Kyle the benefit of the doubt that his uh, his intentions were noble and then he was looking out for his troops that he was protecting. Um, I do lean that way, but I also take into account the the ravages, the mental ravages and the physical ravages that war and battle has on a human being. And he wasn't immune from that. He may have been um, a, a fine physical specimen and a Navy SEAL and super well-trained, but he's still a frail human being psychologically. And it was clear that it affected him in, in various, um, very deep ways. Well, and even, I thought it was great what Bill Burr said at the end there. Yeah, that was Bill Burr, but you, know, you just mentioned it. <laughs> which, which, you know, indicates even if he wrote this book after the war and said maybe some not great things. Well, he had been through four tours in Iraq. He had seen some terrible things. He has endured trauma and yeah. you know that's going to change a person that's going to change his brain that's going to change how he reacts with people you know interacts with people it's going to change him well even even the act of killing enemy combatants even the act of killing the enemy is going to have a profound effect on anyone even if he claims it didn't Right. Even if he says, it's fine with me, you know, they're the enemy, I got to save my guys. It's still going to have an effect on him psychologically, and he's going to bring that home, as was evidenced in the movie. And it's the one good point that the one guy, the boring sounding guy at the end, when he said that, he goes, I don't know how anybody walked out of this movie thinking either this guy is just a stone cold murdering psychopath or... You know, God bless America. What a wonderful hero who we had no problems. Let's build a statue to him. Those those two are not what I walked out of there with. I walked out of this guy was broken. He had problems. He had major, major issues that he was working through. But he certainly wasn't some white knight on a shining hit on a, on a on a horse. They also didn't paint him as though he was championing his kills because there were scenes where he would kill somebody and the person who was protecting him while he was being a sniper would be like, yeah, that was awesome, man. And like, get on him and grab his shoulders. And he'd be like, get off me. Right. Like, I need time to decompress. Right. 
I'm not going to be cheering what just happened. Like right, and whether that's fact or not, that's what the that's what we're talking about right now. Right now is the movie. That's the what right. the, the movie put forward. So and, to to make your judgment on him based on the movie, it it showed all the sides. Right. Well, and Bill Maher's trying to say the movie did one thing. In addition, Clint Eastwood released a statement saying, uh, "I'm not pro-war. I think war is abhorrent." And so people that are saying this about me, that's the wrong thing. So Bill Maher is also trying to act like, well, of course, this came out of Clint Eastwood. Right. Apparently, Clint Eastwood was not for the Iraq war. So. Well, look, it is arguable. In retrospect, it probably wasn't the best course of action. I did support it at the time, but I also was going off the the understanding as just as the rest of the world was relative to the intelligence that the the entire planet had it wasn't just the cia the french came to the same conclusion the british came to the same conclusion obviously israel came to the same conclusion but everybody was on the same page the world agreed we should go so i posted um one of the links i i i uh i shared on my own on my own pa- facebook page from the i doubt it with dollamore facebook page and uh, a buddy of mine, listener to the show, uh, Haas, Jordan Haas, he, he replied to the post and gave his opinion. He says, I have not read the book or seen the movie. Wait, wait, wait. I want to start there. My good buddy Haas, that is, th- th- it's very telling right there. Although you have not seen the movie and you you have not read the book, you have very, very strong opinions about him. I think just that's very odd to me. So he went on. That said, what I have seen is people deciding that if you do not like this guy, you immediately hate America, side with ISIS, and support communism, parenthetically, or the modern-day equivalent, the Muslims. Oh, I'm going to stop you there. Um As much as you listen to the show and as much as anyone listens to the show, they should know that is not what I'm saying. In concert with our mantra here on the show of moving the conversation forward, we also talk about not falling for either extreme end of the spectrum. And that's not it. I'm not advocating. This program is not advocating it's one side or the other, that you have to take a side. We're advocating that there's a position in the middle that it could be a little bit of both. Continue. From what I've read, this is him continuing, and then I want to just stop here and make a note. (laughs) It's from what he's read, not the book. I don't care for this guy. The interview you played is one example, but there are others that paint a different picture. I think he enjoyed killing brown people more than he lets on in that interview. I do not need to see the movie to know that it's America number one, join the military and be a hero just like him propaganda. It wasn't. Even effing Top Gun was a prop film with a hidden agenda. After listening to your take on it, I do have one thing to say to you, Mr. Dollamore. I understand your side, but this man did not go to the Middle East and kill 160 people for my freedom. I support the troops. They do a job I could never. But the U.S. military has not gone into a conflict to protect, quotes, the American way of life and freedom since the Civil War. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on. Just because you're not old enough, Haas, and everyone else who shares your opinion, just because you're not old enough to have experienced 
Pearl Harbor, when our soil was attacked by the enemy, the Japanese, doesn't mean that you don't have to uh, be held account to understand and, and know about it. World War II, whether you believe it or not, wasn't a false flag operation. It was a real deal, and our freedom absolutely was at stake. Hitler, if you remember, had already taken over many, many countries in Europe. The Nazi flag flew over Paris. It, it was a big deal, and it was absolutely the opposite of what you say. It was, it was the military defending your, your freedom and your way of life. Furthermore, I might be able to agree with you on Vietnam, but I don't agree with you on Afghanistan because we were attacked, 3,000 Americans, and I won't get into the differences of opinion that we both share on this matter, but we definitely needed to answer, and we definitely needed some kind of military response to what happened on 9-11. These troops are deployed to protect investments, and certainly not mine. So please do not say that Chris Kyle was defending my right to criticize him. He was defending oil production. You asked, love ya. So um, that was the end of his his right. his message. Listen, first of all, I do love I love Haas. He's awesome, and this is a classic ad- example of being able to disagree and not have it get hostile, not have it get weird, and not have us not be friends anymore. It's two people who disagree fundamentally disagree about something. It just he listen. Jordan Haas just can't, he doesn't have the luxury of being right about so many things like I do. (laughs) Well, come on. I mean, he says, I don't need to see the movie to know that it's insert the sentence here. Right. I mean, yes, you do. Yes, you do. You need to see the movie to know anything about it. You don't know anything about it until you saw it. How is anyone going to form an opinion about the movie without having seen the movie? And so, and that's the thing with these quotes that are coming out of the book. I don't know what to think of the quotes because I haven't read the book. And I'm waiting for my close friend to read the book and get back yeah, to me. You, you've got way too much on your plate book reading wise to, to start into American Sniper. Right. So my best friend is going to read the book, get back to me. I trust that she will tell me the truth. <laughs> right. But I'm not going to take the Guardian's word for it. I, I want someone who's read it that I trust to give me the information. But that being said, when I was 16, (laughs) this is like a decade ago, right? Um, I remember debating somebody and I was against the war in Iraq and I hated George Bush and I was all these things, right? I proudly called myself a flaming liberal. And I remember arguing with someone about the war and I said, and repeating this is going to make me feel sick right now. But I said, no, I do not support the troops because they have willingly signed up to go and kill people. Right. And that disgusts me when I think about that now, because I just don't know what I was thinking. I think I wanted to be rebellious. You know, I had seen that YouTube video. What is it called? Zeit. Zeitgeist. Right. Right. Where it says that 9-11 was an inside job. And I was like, oh, yeah, this YouTube video is hella accurate. <laughs> you know, um, luckily, I've developed and that's, you know, a decade of education between that time. And I've 
you know, obviously changed. But when I think back on that, it's weird because in the movie American Sniper, they showed just a little clip of 9-11 footage and I immediately get emotional. It, it's weird to me because I, I only have to see like a picture of it and I immediately start tearing up because that is insane how many people died. Yeah. And like you said, there needed to be some kind of response. And so when people say that the military isn't protecting us, I don't know what they mean because, I mean, they must not be watching the news because these ISIS videos are coming. I mean, it feels like every other week now. You're goddamn right. And like you said, there are people that want the ISIS flag to fly in the White House. And we should believe what they're saying because they've done terrible things before. And we need people that are protecting us. And thankfully, we have people who are willing. I mean, that's it. I agree uh, 100%. It's, as as stated on the show previously, it's it's odd to me. I don't think that Haas is being um, disrespectful. I mean, he. I think he truly, really believes this. It just, it's, it's just antithetical to the way I believe. So you know, it's uh, it, it's what it is, and it, it's it's all part of moving the conversation forward and chipping away one, one poorly formed opinion at a time. <laughs> but there's no love lost between me and all my friends, many of whom vehemently disagree with me. Another little piece of follow-up, and we got to get moving on here. Um, Jay Leno was just interviewed recently. He was like on on a stage, kind of a panel thing, and he was asked about Bill Cosby. And uh, shockingly enough, he actually gave substantial opinion on the matter. It wasn't just, you know, a wishy-washy bullshit kind of a response. This whole Cosby thing, Hannibal Burris, yeah. started with him, stand-up comedian. He made a flat-out statement that reverberated around the world that would not have that was on tv it would have been edited if it right. had any other medium would have been edited but because somebody just filmed it and put it out there right. you're getting your news raw and unfiltered which i think is fantastic yeah crazy do you uh do you watch that cosby thing is and just think sad or do you think what's your take on that well this is a I, guy that was i mean i don't know why it's so hard to believe women I mean, you know, you go to Saudi Arabia and you need two women to testify against a man. Here you need 25. So good for him. Good for him. I'm glad that he uh, and also throwing in that little dig against Saudi Arabia is just good measure. <laughs> Yeah, I'm very impressed by that because, you know, he's joining the ranks of Judd Apatow and other outspoken comedians that are coming forward and not being afraid to speak out against Bill Cosby. Well, he's also a guy who has been kind of beholden to the network and trying to please everybody and not wanting to say controversial things. And it's awesome that he's out from under the yoke of a network and he can say whatever the fuck he wants, you know. Right. Yeah, it's good. And hopefully that will influence more people to... Take the right side. Yeah. Well, you know, like we said, we don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know what I believe, but I don't know. And uh, given the preponderance of the evidence, I would say that he's a dirty, filthy, serial rapist. But I don't know. I don't know that. 
but it's what's in my head. <laughs> yeah, yuck. So yuck. So anyway, moving right along. Very interesting data that was gathered and released this week about how many, I I, I want to say firearm or I want to say uh, handguns, but I don't know, just firearms. How many firearms were confiscated this year at uh, airport security checkpoints by the TSA? The TSA said Friday that its agents had found more than 2,200 guns in carry-on bags last year. 2,200 guns in carry-ons. Holy shit. This is an increase of nearly 400 guns over the previous year and more than three times the number of guns found in 2005. Wow. What are these people doing? You know, it reminds me... I mean, listen, I understand that people can be absent-minded. When we were in Austin, remember this, mm-hmm. we were in Austin, uh, Brittany presented research at SPSP, which is a psychological conference in Austin, Texas. And while you were in Austin, Texas, and when you're us and we love food, we went all these food places. And one of the places we went was Franklin Barbecue. It's a world famous barbecue joint. And we had to wait in line. We got there at 8 a.m., and we waited and we didn't eat until 1230 in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. That whole time was spent in line. So while we were waiting in line, I went over and filled a backpack with Lone Star beer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a, you're in Texas. You got to, you know, win in Rome. Yep. So obviously I didn't drink all. I also bought a bottle of wine or two. So we were. That was for me, though. We were having a good time. And. The beers that I didn't drink, because I bought beers when we were in there, but the beers I didn't drink, we just left them in this backpack. In my carry-on bag. That's It was your carry-on bag. It was your messenger bag. Right. And they just ended up there. And then we had to go back to the hotel, pack, and get out of there and go to the airport. And then we got to the airport, and they kept running her bag through, running it through, running it through over and over. And finally, they said, man, we're going to have to look through this and see what's going on. And it was the beers. They pulled out the beers. Yes, and I was horrified. The security guy, the TSA, the, the TSA guy also tried to run you through the ringer a little bit and act like you were in big trouble or something. Yeah, and I was scared. So I guess what I'm getting at is I can understand absentmindedly leaving something in your luggage. But for the light, like maybe a, a pocket knife or something, I could see that. But leaving a firearm in your carry-on is... It is beyond me. It is beyond the scope of my level of comprehension to get my little tiny pea brain around it. It just, it it flabbergasts me. Yeah, I mean, you're going to the airport. You cannot have weapons. And so I don't understand. I mean, they must just be, but you shouldn't be putting your, your gun in a bag anyway, right? I mean, you can't just like throw it in a bag. Well, I, I mean, if it's not loaded or whatever, you can. But they, they didn't say whether they were loaded or not. But it just... Gun, it's never been something you could bring on an airplane. Not even pre-9-11 could you bring a gun on an airplane. So that's why, I, like, I've taken business trips and I've forgotten my my torch, my cigar lighter. And I've, I've like, oh, shit, I don't want to throw this away. It's a $100 lighter. So I've kind of stashed it in, like, strategic places and then was able to get through. That's happened to me a couple times. And that's that's me being stupid and absent-minded. <laughs> but that's a lighter. That's not <laughs> a, a, a gun. Right. Just who are these people? It, it's bizarre to me. Freaks me out. 
Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Mike Huckabee, ah, he's good. He's seriously, he's making my life worth living right now. And he, it's just going to get better. It really is. It's. I really hope he lasts. He lasts until they start debating because there's going to be so much beautiful footage of him opening his big fat mouth and shoving his foot directly into it. So I am looking at it again, and and it's not just because I have some nutty ambition to say wouldn't I like to uh, be president, but I really think James, our country is in real trouble, and yes, a lot it of it is because we've we've just divorced ourselves from common sense. We've divorced ourselves from an understanding that we cannot survive as a republic if we do not become, once again, a God-centered nation that understands that our laws do not come from man. They come from God. It's the natural law of God. Our founders really understood that and believed it. Now, I'm not saying that a person should run and say, let's have a theocracy, because I don't think we should. Ridiculous. No, it, it's, it's, it, that's not what even we, our we founders want. We have a theocracy want. right now. It's a secular theocracy. That's it. It's a humanistic, secular, Absolutely. atheistic, Forced even anti- antagonistic toward Christian faith. Yep. And that's what we need to understand. Our basic fundamental rights are being robbed from us, taken from us, piece by piece. And you would like for whoever runs and whoever is our president to keep God in the center God. of their focal point. You agree with that? Absolutely, I do. And and whether it's me or someone else, and, and I do ask people to pray. Because for me, James, this is not just a political or financial decision. It is a spiritual decision. Uh, you know, the only thing worse than not being elected president would be to be elected president without God's blessing. Mm-hmm. I can't think of a worse mm-hmm. place in the world to be than in the Oval Office without God's hand upon you. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd rather not get near the place. Yeah. But if if that's a purpose, then so be it. And that's my prayer. It's so antagonistic toward Christians that Mike Huckabee is going to run for president. Well, it's so weird that he calls it the secular theocracy. It's (laughs) it's it's like being called spiritual medicine. Those two words don't go together. A secular theocracy. It's like being a satanic Christian. What? It, no, it doesn't work. He's just, he, he's just, he's pandering to the highest order. It's unbelievable. This is where he's going to try to uh, build some credibility relative to a presidential race. The, the other thing that, I, that he touches on that I really wanted to address is him talking about law from God and not from man. So I guess I guess what 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 Governor Huckabee is asserting is that before Moses, before God gave the law to Moses, it was legal and acceptable to murder your common man. That that's what he's saying. Since we got our law and our morality from God, from God, that must have been the way it was. You know, uh 10,000 years ago, it was A-OK. Murder was completely acceptable until the Jews came up with this wackadoo concept that murder was bad. It, It makes no sense. So how is he going to know that he has received God's blessing? I don't know. I mean, I guess he'll get some warm and fuzzy feeling 
after closing his eyes and clasping his hands together, there's there's certainly no concrete way of telling other than when he says, yep, God told me. So it kind of reminds me of a Sam Harris quote, this whole thing. Mm -hmm. And this was when he was referring to George Bush with this quote, but insert any president who claims to be in conversation with God here. Right. He says, the president of the United States has claimed on more than one occasion to be in dialogue with God. If he said that he was talking to God through his hairdryer, this would precipitate a national emergency. I fail to see how the addition of a hairdryer makes the claim more ridiculous or offensive. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 definitely problematic. It's definitely problematic. So that's what's just weird to me is what Mike Huckabee is saying that he'll receive God's blessing to be president. Come on, guy. Well, what's great about it is if he decides to run based on what he just said... It's because he did get God's blessing and God wants him to run for president, which would indicate to me that Mike Huckabee will be our next president because God has so ordained it. So when he doesn't win the election or when he doesn't even win the nomination, what's to be said? Was he wrong about the God thing or was it God's plan all along for him not to win but wanted him to run? Right. I, I mean, I don't I don't know. But another thing that's weird is this secular theocracy that he's talking about being imposed by atheists when they are the least trusted group in America. Right. We wield so much power when people <laughs> would rather vote for a president that's been married three times, has had an extramarital affair, is gay, Muslim, you know, all these things that Americans typically don't like. Brittany, we, we already have a Muslim president. Oh, yeah. Sorry. I forgot. <laughs> And when atheists in one survey were the least trusted, even below rapists. So, I mean, they're definitely in charge. Right. Because they're real popular. So we control the agenda because because we're so trusted and so much in charge. So right now in California, I wouldn't call it an epidemic because I believe at this point there's only been 79 cases of the measles. But we are in somewhat of an emergency situation relative to the rampant spread of a disease that has heretofore been eradicated through the, the, the miracle, if you will, of modern medicine and vaccines. There were 644 new measles cases in 27 states last year, according to the CDC. That's the biggest annual number we've seen in nearly a quarter century. Ugh. The vast majority of people who contracted the disease were unvaccinated, including the dozens of cases related to an outbreak at Disneyland in Orange County, California, which is basically ground zero in our current epidemic of anti-vaccine hysteria. And ground zero to where we are sitting at this present moment. That is true. Disneyland is probably less than 10 miles from where we sit right now as the crow flies. Right. And they are telling you if you are not vaccinated, do not come to Disneyland. I right. don't think that Disneyland is saying that, but I think doctors are saying that. Right. And Huntington Beach High School is certainly less than five miles, even just over surface roads. We're very close to Huntington Beach High School. Right, so we're basically going to get the measles. <laughs> right. It's, if not, then it's, it's more than likely going to be Ebola <laughs> or, or some other terrible, terrible affliction. 
Right. So a survey that they talk about here in this Washington Post article says that in 2014, this survey found only 51% of Americans were confident that vaccines were safe and affected, which is similar to the proportion who believe that houses can be haunted by ghosts. <laughs> so we're in a lot of trouble here, people. Wow. That is awesome. These are some people who are not very into reading research before having an opinion. I'll tell you that. That is unbelievable to me. I am scared. So the title of this article is The Devastating Impact of Vaccine Deniers in One Measles Chart. And they really go through, and it is remarkable the the problem and the scope that it can have, and also how quickly it can take off, not just from year to year, and not just from month to month, and really not even for week to week for that matter, but from day to day, just how many people can contract this disease and it's it can be fatal. Huntington Beach High School is not sending children home because they're not vaccinated just for the hell of it because they risk losing funding. It's a, it's a financial damage to the school to not have children there. They're doing it for the safety and the the to stifle the continued spread of this terrible ailment. Right. And this chart is very telling. And we'll post this link to the Facebook page. And, you know, sometimes when people make graphs like this, they will manipulate the Y axis and that is the vertical axis. And they will kind of mess with the numbers there to make the the line disparity look larger. Yeah, yeah, right. And this, as you will note, does not have that problem. It goes by hundreds, and that's in number of cases, cumulative cases. Mm -hmm. And it goes from 100 to 700. And 2014 is just the highest line it's by crazy. far. Yeah, it's crazy. And it's insane because this is also comparing with 2001. So, I mean, you're comparing the past 13 years and... We're getting worse related to science and people understanding science. How is this happening? Well, it's from the likes of... I've read too many books. You know, weirdos like Kristen Cavalieri and uh, the Playboy chick. What's her name? Um, Jenny McCarthy. Jenny McCarthy. I don't know how I... From episode to episode, I can never remember Although she's names. not anti-vax. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. You say that... Anymore. You say that tongue-in-cheek. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, she claims she's not anymore. Now she claims, after she's written book after book after book, I think three separate books about the dangers of vaccines. Now she's saying she's not anti-vaccine. Well, I think what's... And, and also, sorry, also claims she never was anti-vaccine. Right. I think kind of what happened is that her son's autism has kind of dissipated. And so she doesn't think that the vaccines caused the autism because the autism isn't as prevalent in his life right, right. now or so, something so like the, that. Where he lands on the autism spectrum isn't quite as high up on the on the slide. Right. He's made improvements. Right. And so that must mean that that he wasn't given autism by a vaccine. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, in her logic, I don't know what she's thinking. I'm just trying to I'm trying to guess here. It's hard to put yourself in the position, in the shoes of a stupid person, Brittany. I know. I'm sure she's smart about some things, but just not vaccines. Uh, I was looking. I don't have a cricket sound effect. <laughs> I heard it anyway, so... I was looking for crickets, and I couldn't... All I had was... <laughs> I didn't have crickets, so I couldn't... <laughs> but, but... The silence, the period of silence, it, it went over it pretty well anyway. Yeah, I felt it.
So listen, get your kid vaccinated. There is a scientific consensus about vaccinations not leading to autism. A consensus. Just as there is a scientific consensus that we are experiencing global warming right now and the likelihood of man's contribution to it is also overwhelmingly understood. Don't be a science denier. In any form, by the way. Yeah, come on. What? Jesus. Taking care of biz. So it's been a while, and yeah, I'm sorry. It's, it's been too long. Yeah, it's my fault. I, I've been slacking, and I need to get back on the on the track here. You're, I guess what you're admitting to is that you're a dirty, filthy, lazy turd. <laughs> is that is that I it? I am very much a lazy <laughs> turd. So the first Taking Care of Biz story, that's right, I have two Taking Care of Biz stories Listen, to make up for lost no, time. You can't, yes. you can't make up for being a lazy, filthy turd. Yes, you can. With just two lousy stories. A man can always change his stars, well, as I learned in the night. You're tale. right. A man can change his stars. <laughs> you women are just destined to never drive cars and not vote. I am, oh, very, I am very much like a man. <laughs> no, no, you're not. Yeah, I am. Okay, so... <laughs> So my first taking care of biz is a 109-year-old woman that lives in Scotland, and her name is Jessie Gallen. Jessie Gallen starts every day with a smile and a bowl of porridge. The 108-year-old celebrated her landmark birthday last week, but remains unfazed about her lofty years. I don't think anything about it. I mean, to say... If I am the oldest person, well, that's all right. I can't help it. <laughs> Remarkably, the chirpy centenarian remains light on her feet. She spends her days walking around her care home and attends a weekly exercise class. She's absolutely amazing. I mean, for 108 and she's still mobile, as you've seen. Um, still got all her wits about her and has got a fantastic memory. Um, she's got some fantastic friends here at Crosby House and that's not just the residents, that's the staff as well. Um, we just love sitting and chatting away to her and, you know, as you've heard, she's got so much experience and so many memories to share with you. Um, she's just a remarkable woman, basically. So what is Jessie's secret to a long and happy life? A long life, well, I... Uh, a long life, you just... You just throw in every day as possible. I used to do an awful lot of knitting. But I could run a race for you if you like. Jessie, who never married, was born and raised on a farm in Kintore. She spent her life working in the service sector. I've never had to depend on anybody. I've had my ups and downs, maybe, but uh, I'm fine. She certainly is. Rebecca Curran, STV News. So she says her secret to a long life has been staying away from men. She says they're just more trouble than they're worth. Oh, that's great. I love that accent great. so much. <laughs> I want it so bad. I would, I would, uh, well, listen, there's a lot I would give to get rid of this, uh, this stupid sound that falls out of my face every time I open my mouth. But 
having of all the accents, Irish or Scottish, it's the, the, the they get better and better the more indistinguishable the words are. You know what I mean? Like the harder it is to understand, the better it is. But I just I love that she says she goes, well, you know, if I'm the oldest person in the world, you know, that's all right. I can't help it. And she's like, Fuck, I don't I don't have anything to do with it. It's not my good deal. Well, it's all the hot porridge that she eats. Yeah, she loves that porridge. It's keeping her heart pumping strong. Yeah. Of course, it's something gross. <laughs> Why can't she say, well, I, you know, I just go down to the Taco Bell every day. Okay, what is porridge? I don't even know what porridge is. Yeah, I think it's like an oatmeal or a... When I think of porridge, you know, it's like the three bears. Right, but that didn't give me any information as to what the porridge is. It's got to be something like farina or malto meal or Ugh, oatmeal. Malto meal. Why don't you look it up? You have a computer right there that happens to be connected to this newfangled thing called the internet. Yeah, so my... <laughs> are you ignoring that? Last? Yeah, I am. Or maybe your headphones are broke? No. No. So my dad used to make us malto meal sometimes. The All right, is this is this the bean story? Yeah, <laughs> the chocolate kind. Which is the gross kind. And if you like chocolate malto meal, you're wrong. And he fed me a bowl of chocolate malto meal one time and I was eating it and there was a bean in it from refried beans. That means someone did not clean the pan and then he made malto meal in the pan. And people wonder why Brittany is a mild germaphobe. That's never happened to me again. I'll tell you that right now. That's right. You uh, you love it now, right? The the chocolate malto meal? No, I've never eaten it since. All right, so the next taking care of biz story. <laughs> That's right. We were promised another. There is a group of good Samaritans who are working to make sure that the homeless and others in need are prepared for the winter weather. Hats and scarves have been spotted around several areas that are experiencing frigid temperatures this winter. The apparel, which has shown up in cities including Edmonton and Winnipeg in Canada and Wilmington, North Carolina, come with messages urging those in needs to take the winter wear. The message, it's like on a little piece of paper. So they show a picture here and it's a scarf tied around a pole. And there's a little note that's visibly sticking out from the scarf. And it says, I am not lost. If you are stuck out in the cold, please take this to keep warm. Hmm. That's awesome. And so they're leaving scarves and hats just all around the city. They're leaving them on fire hydrants, you know, any anything they can stick them on. And they're leaving them with this note to make sure that homeless people who walk by and see them know, hey, listen, take this and keep yourself warm. Has the has the group been identified? There are a couple of different groups that have been identified. One is called Scarves in the Port City. And then there is another one that is called Chase the Chill, and those are in just different cities. So it's just like kind of uh, these these different groups have sprung up that are kind of using the same tactic and under the same agenda. Exactly. That's, that's awesome. Right. Who could argue with that? I mean, that's that's beautiful. Right. So they are all taking care of biz, and we appreciate their kindness and their willingness to help others in need. For sure. Well, I think we'll wrap it up there. Ending it on a little positive note. Th which is something we should always do. Making sure people know that we're always encouraging them to be genuine, right? We love genuineness and also attempting to move the conversation forward. Do we not? Yes, are we you do. Are you over there doing your taxes again? No, but I cannot <laughs> wait to finish them. So let's wrap this up. All right. Listen, we love you. We appreciate you for tuning in twice a week 
to me, run my mouth and Brittany give you facts and data that are that are beautiful and integral to your life. We appreciate you joining us to move the conversation forward. And if you'd like to support the show other than than tuning in twice a week, you could always go visit dollamore.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a link that says support the show. And there you can search on Amazon for a book. Hell, you could even go buy Bill Nye's new book. Again, the title is Undeniable, Evolution and the Science of Creation. And coincidentally enough, Michael Shermer also has a book out right now called The Moral Arc, which I should start reading tomorrow because we now have a copy of it. So until next time, for Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollamore, and this has been I Doubt It. I had my eyes rolled for about one minute straight. 